On the banks of the Mississippi River, near the Gulf of Mexico, lies New Orleans, Louisiana. Nicknamed the Big Easy, it's known for its round-the-clock nightlife, vibrant live music scene, and spicy cuisine reflecting its history as a melting pot of French, African, and American cultures. Famed for raucous costume parades and street parties like the annual Mardi Gras Festival. It's easy to forget, or perhaps even ignore, the terrifying things lurking in the shadows of the New Orleans street lamps, its riverbanks, or nearby swamplands, or perhaps even at the end of an old road made of nothing more than sand and broken shells. There are a few cryptid creatures that garner most of the attention in and around this area of Louisiana. The Rogaroo, or the Honey Island Swamp Monster, for example. But legend has it that there is something perhaps even more terrifying that is hiding in the New Orleans area, something that's been there ever since the Big Easy's beginning. This is the legend of the Grunch Road Monster. The Grunch is described to be an elaborate cross between the canid and reptilian chupacabras. It is described as a goat-like creature with leathery or scaly black-gray skin and sharp spines with long horns or quills running down its back, very much like El Chupacabra. Standing three to four feet in height with glowing red or green eyes, they are said to be human-like with the ability to open doors, use tools, and show intelligence similar to how one may describe a monkey or member of the great ape family. Others have described long fur, a tail, and bat-like wings. The Grunch is also said to have a very strong, grotesque stench, and when alarmed, will howl like a wolf, screech like an ape, or make a sound similar to what would be described for the Banshee. But sightings and tales, unlike its cousins, seem to go back farther in Louisiana history than in other areas of the world. Throughout the years, the Grunch, whose name is believed to have originated after a road that it was most commonly witnessed, has been called the Vampire of Faubourg Marani, dating back to the early 1800s. As a principal port, New Orleans had the major role of any city during the antebellum era in the slave trade. Its port handled huge quantities of goods for export from the interior and import from other countries to be traded up the Mississippi River. The river was filled with steamboats, flatboats, and sailing ships. At the same time, it had the most prosperous community of free persons of color in the South. Many of the old stories came from people whose family were around at the time and have been passed down as oral traditions. The legend of Marie Laveau tells of how some believe this form of chupacabra came into existence. An old voodoo hoodoo story says Marie Laveau castrated the devil baby, another famous New Orleans legend, when he was born to stop him producing more of his evil kind. The bloody testicles allegedly turned into a male and a female grunch upon falling to the floor, whereupon they attacked the great voodoo queen, Marie Laveau. 
The gruncher said to have almost killed her with fierce bites and punching. The terror the old voodoo queen felt must have been unbearable as she struggled under their great strength before she fainted. When she awoke, the grunch and the devil baby were gone. Laveau was near death after this, and many have said this is when Marie Laveau gave up her voodoo hoodoo ways and went back to being a good Catholic woman. There exists a second story which describes the grunch as coming from an inbred clan of albino dwarf people who lived in the woods and ate goats and humans. During the early years of New Orleans history, allegedly there was a group of humans who lived in the woods out past what was known as Grunch Road. They were a strange mix of albinos and dwarfs who were forced to live away from society because people considered them the creation of the devil himself. Unfortunately, their seclusion to the woods caused the people to interbreed and combine their abnormalities. They eventually became almost inhuman in appearance. Grunch Road came to be considered nothing more than a freak show, the people of Grunch Road becoming a sort of sideshow for teenagers and even some adults who would seek them out for a little bit of a scare with their friends. Additionally, Grunch Road's secluded nature made it the perfect makeout spot for desperate teens who may not have believed the legends. That is, until people began to disappear. But perhaps the Grunch's human-like appearance under the light of the moon spawned this alternate theory of its origin. In either case, victims have gone missing or were found dead. Said to hide in the tall grass and thrive off of the blood of goats and humans, the Grunch preys on those who park their cars on or wander down its namesake road at night. Rumors tell of how it lures victims in by using a wounded goat to attract them to come close to investigate. The beast waits and hides patiently, finally pouncing with its sharp teeth and long claws. However, unlike conventional Louisiana swamp predators, this breed of chupacabra is said to drain all of the animal's blood and sometimes organs through a single hole. So where is this Grunch Road today? Some people claim it was in Chalamet, Louisiana, while others claim it was in Gentilly or Metairie. But many today believe the real Grunch Road was located in a remote part of eastern New Orleans near the community of Littlewoods. Most people only ever encountered Grunch Road by accident a dead end of scant shells and sand, sheltered by overgrown woods and great tall water oaks. It led into the ferny darkness off the major two-lane highway off Hain Boulevard. Sightings of ghastly goat people, stories of floating lights, ghosts wandering the woods, and strange cries in the night continue to this day. A woman in Harvey, Louisiana, described witnessing a grunch eating one of her neighbor's dogs. Sanitation workers tell of seeing them raid the garbage cans or chase the garbage trucks along the New Orleans East Haines Boulevard. They are said to live in the darkest parts of New Orleans City Park Golf Course and have been seen running in the tall grass and along the levees of Chalamet National Battlefield. Lakeview residents nowadays tell of how they no longer leave their pets in the yard since Hurricane Katrina 
as so many grunge were then displaced into the neighborhood. Many say late at night, you can see them running across Highway 90, looking for something or someone to eat. Photos of a creature alleged to be the Grunch have surfaced over recent years, keeping the legend of Grunch Road alive to this day. Whether it's a chupacabra-like creature or a clan of inbred albino dwarfs surviving in the outskirts of civilization, it seems that people are encountering something in the swamps on the edge of New Orleans. So, the next time you're in the Big Easy, you may want to use caution if you encounter a wounded goat on the side of the road. You may just want to steer clear and keep moving. Hey, all you campers, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your counselor, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other counselor, Woody Brown. What's up, dude? Oh, man, I am super excited to dive into this a little bit more and talk about uh, this crazy cryptid that we came across Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but before that you know all last week i kind of thought man i actually have a couple of more like embarrassing summer camp stories Mm -hmm. and uh one that i just can't get out of my head and i just feel like i'd well first let me say this too okay to our friends and listeners who i think might think that we're just kind of saying all of these scary things to dissuade people from camping, nothing further, nothing could be further from the truth, folks. Mm -hmm. I love camping. You know that. I try to get you to come camping all the time. But the truth of the matter is part of the camping experience is kind of being a little bit, you know, scared of what's out there lurking in the woods. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, back to... um, I got to get this embarrassing summer camp story off my chest. And before we talk about what, what you just heard. Mm-hmm. So basically, I, you know, at this point in time, it's like a little bit, I'm a little bit older. I'm in high school. I think this was like a, you know, like a church weekend camp kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know. And obviously, since it was kind of church related or whatever, you know, there were boys cabins, girls cabins, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, this place also, and I have no idea where this camp was, no clue, but just like every summer camp, there was like a a lake and in the lake, there were two sort of big sort of lake attractions. One was this thing, and I'm sure you've heard of it and potentially everybody listening has heard of it as well. But you know, like that, the thing they call like the blob. Dude, I've always wanted to do that and I've never been able to. What? Oh my gosh, dude. You see it in like, uh, the first time I saw it was in like that heavyweights movie. That is out of here, mister. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
and I was like obsessed. But no, I've never, I've oh, never done dude. it. It's so fun. And like, so for those of you listening that don't know what we're what we're talking about, essentially is this big, huge, almost like floating pillow that's on top of mm-hmm. the lake. There is um, sort of like a, I don't know, uh, like a thing that you climb up mm-hmm. pretty high, you know, and you essentially jump off of this, what would you call it, like a tower mm-hmm. and jump onto this blob you know whenever you jump onto it of course it like cushions your fall if there's someone else on it though it just straight up launches them into the air oh yeah into the lake and so you would jump on it launch whoever's on there off and then you would kind of get situated in position so that whenever the next person jumps they launch you off Mm. now my embarrassing story does not revolve around that although i'm sure there would have been plenty opportunities for something to go wrong there instead it's the other attraction on the lake that this embarrassing moment happened. So on the other side of the lake was a zip line. Mm. Again, for the benefit of the listener that may not know what in the world a zip line is, essentially, again, you climb up really high and then you hold on to these handles and jump off of this um, tower and zip down this line that goes into the lake. And it ends kind of out in the middle of the lake and you can either wait until the very end, although that kind of jerks you if you do that, or you can kind of drop and let go and drop into the lake before that. Well, at the time, of course, there was a few girls that I just had my my sights set on and you know definitely wanted to kind of impress them. And, and a lot of point, more... At this point also, you've... Uh, Natasha is pregnant and you guys are engaged. Oh my God. No, no, no. <laughs> no, this is... Uh, this you know this is not a scouting thing so in line there are you know just as typical young teenager boys do they want to impress you know the girls around them, the, the, the girls that they have crushes on and so everybody's kind of in line and everybody's sort of like you know no that's too scary i don't want to do that and i'm like and and then i think someone's like i mean are you brave enough to do it to me you know and i mm-hmm. said uh oh absolutely and keep in mind I've never done anything like this before. So I, you know, kind of climb up this rickety wooden ladder up to the top of this tower, kind of look down. That's when I start to realize and my knees start to shake. Boy, this thing is pretty high up. And it's almost like, sure, it could have been my imagination, but it's like I could feel that wooden tower kind of ever so slightly sort of shifting back and forth, you know, swaying a little bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. There's, you know, like a camp counselor up on top just to make sure everybody's doing what they're, you know, supposed to up there. I'm sure, train lifeguard or whatever. Mm-hmm. He pulls back, he pulls the, uh, you know, there's a rope attached to the handle so that once it goes, once somebody rides it to the end, they can kind of pull it back so that somebody can grab on and do it again. Mm-hmm. Well, he's pulling this thing back and the handles come close. And I'm also, at this point especially, pretty nervous of heights in general and again i'm now realizing just how high up i am i can see the entire lake i can see the folks over at the blob having a fun time mm-hmm. and this is much higher than the blob was the blob jump wow. and i'm just kind of like oof man what have i gotten into of course you know my friends down below are egging me on i want to impress these girls the counselor's like are you ready man I'm like look over at him i'm like uh yeah I can tell, he can tell that I'm scared. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
And so he's like, are you sure, man? I mean, it's really not that bad. You just, you know, make sure you hold on tight. I'm like, okay, cool. So I reach up, I grab the handles that are just like almost far enough to where you can't really hold on to anything else. You grab them and go and that's it. You have to commit. Mm -hmm. So I put one hand on, I put the other hand on and I kind of jump off. And before I can zip down, oh boy, as intended, I essentially both hands slip off and I fall right there. So I'm following this, I don't know, it seems like 100 feet. It was probably 30, but I'm falling straight down towards the base of this thing. Yes, there's water there, but God knows how deep, right? So I'm just, I just remember falling. All I can see is the sky above me. So I'm falling like, in my mind, I'm falling to my certain death here. Oh, yeah. Well, I fall in there and luckily... And anybody that lives in Georgia will know, and a lot of lakes are like this, but there was maybe about three to four inches of water where I fell into. Mm -hmm. But luckily for me, there's just like this gross sort of like sludge mud that was there. They kind of sucked me in and and cushioned my fall. But Mm. man, it hurt like crazy. (laughs) And I kind of come up at that point like, people have rushed down there they're like grabbing up they're like oh my gosh are you okay man and i'm just kind of like playing it off like You're like i'm cool oh yeah man oh yeah yeah man that was crazy i don't know what's wrong with that thing that crazy lifeguard <laughs> up there should have dried those handles hey if you go up there just be real careful you know i'll be back i just gotta go use the restroom and i hobble off man i again another oscar worthy performance i pretended like it didn't hurt at all mm-hmm Dude, I could barely get out of bed for like two days because of my back hurting so bad because it just slammed into the freaking muddy ground. Man. Needless to say, I don't think any of the girls uh, in line were, were impressed um, with my um, daring bravery. Um, <laughs> you know. I mean, you never know. Speaking of zip lining, have you done zip lining since? Like any big ones? Uh, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> I. This would have been on our honeymoon, my wife Courtney and I. We went on a cruise and we departed out of Puerto Rico, but we had like a whole day. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. What song is that? A-I-A. Oh, I don't know, man. Slow rider. Anyway, there's this zip line there. And I mean, I'm kind of a thrill seeker when it comes to that stuff. I love like roller coasters, the faster, the better. The I'm into all that stuff. Woody... Not so much. As, as much. But I will say, this zipline is one of the craziest things. And looking back, I don't I don't think I could do that. I don't think I would do it now. So you kind of work your way up. Like you're, I mean, it's amazing. It's like a really cool thing. Look it up if you're ever in, in Puerto Rico. But it's like, it's this sort of like canopy tour thing. So like you, you first start out and it's like a, you know, it's like a hundred feet zip line and then you it like takes you to this higher place and you're kind of working your way up by the end of it and also it is puerto rico so the um, well, we'll just say that their regulations are yeah a little bit different yep. than here, here in the states yeah it's very just like there's a dude who's just like click snaps you in something and it's just like there you go and you okay, just my friend <laughs> you just you just hope that you you make it by the time you get to the last one it's a little under two miles long, and you reach a top speed of 98 miles an hour. What? Yeah, you're no. literally going... No, I swear to God. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. 
uh, we'll 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 post the uh, the link, but it uh, you're hauling ass, and you're basically kind of going across like you know a giant, almost two mile wide canyon. Um, yeah. But I mean, it is amazing. But like, I don't know. I just I feel like as we get older, like well, ever since I was fifteen, after I feel like I kind of cashed in on my <laughs> you sort chips of plateaued on, on that one when when I fall. Yeah, let's just say that. There's not a muddy ground to kind of. I, I just used up all my luck. Yeah, right. In that fall, and then for any other zip lines. I mean, I'm sure I've been on like smaller ones, and and really, truthfully, I did that one later. You know, that week or weekend or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to another country. Yeah, hopping on one that's tall enough to be just like high above the trees. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to go 90 miles. That that would be. It's not on my list of things to do. Yeah, ever. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I hit like a like I hit like a bug or something like my shoulder oh my or something, and mm. it ended up leaving like a like a scar, not a scar, but like an open wound. You know, Jeez. I mean, that's that fast. sounds. Hey, that sounds like a fun time. I mean, it was pretty awesome. All that to say, I just turned forty. The big, the big four zero. The big four zero, and I mean, I know you hit forty about eight or nine years ago, and Come on. so how was it for you? Oh, dude, I love them. I mean. You know, look, <clears throat> I would say before I turned 30, like, mm-hmm. I had all kinds of anxiety about turning 30. Before I turned 40, though, I, it's not really, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that bad. I, I kind of, uh, mm-hmm. I'm kind of digging it. Now, when you start to really kind of like sit down, take the time and think about the fact that you're only 10 years away from 50. Yeah, that's weird. Boy, when it sinks in like that, that's, mm-hmm. uh, whew, that's a tough one. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of it has to do with, with like, if you have kids, I don't think it's like a big deal. It's just like, oh, here's it. We just keep going. Just another day. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I don't know. It was fun. We uh, we were able to celebrate together. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was awesome. You and your wife, myself and mine, and then our buddy John and his wife. Mm-hmm. Man, we had such a good time. And you know, it's funny. Like we've done this a couple times over the years, but certainly any time that we go out to a nice restaurant to eat. You know, we get a pretty relatively early reservation. And then next thing you know, we're just laughing. We're having a good time. And we're starting to notice nobody else. Everyone, you know, boy, I guess uh, this place isn't that popular on a yeah. Friday night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this last time, though, we kind of had like a sort of like a private room in this restaurant. Yeah. And so we, we couldn't really notice whether or not other patrons were there. And we started noticing, you know, the waiter would kind of come by and sort of be like, you know, Hey, no rush, guys. I understand. You know, whenever you guys are ready, just let me know. Yeah. You know, here's here's your bill, whatever. We take care of that. And then, you know, same thing. He kind of keeps on coming in. Hey, just checking in. No rush. But, you know, you guys are welcome to stay as long as you want. And I started, like, it kind of hit me or or somebody else kind of like, why does he keep, why does he keep saying that? It's like, wait a minute. It's 10. And then we check. Yeah. We've been there for. <laughs> Almost four and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, holy smokes, man. Yeah, I got some super cool stuff. I got a, the new Ernie Ball, like, tuner, volume pedal junior. Uh, for all you non-music fans, you have no idea what that is, but it looks super 80s. And uh, I have a pedal board as big as a child's casket that looks like a Boy. NASA space station. So it's a, it was a good uh, addition. Courtney got me also... The Jim Lee Artist Edition. Did I show you that? 
Um, it's kind of like the Marvel covers one that I, that I had. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we saw it that time that we went to the comic shop up in uh, yes. Ridge. Yep, yep, it's awesome. Johnny got me some video games, some D&D, like little, little like figures and stuff. You got me the D&D Art and Arcana book, which I have wanted forever, but I just felt weird about spending 50 bucks uh, <laughs> on like yeah, a D&D books. book. So yeah. it was uh, it was an awesome, awesome, awesome birthday. Oh, and Father's Day. So I was born on Father's Day and it was, you know, back to back two days in a row. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, uh, it was a good weekend. Look, you know, I want to dive into this, um, into this story, man. Well, sorry uh, to cut you off, but let's go to break first. We will return after these messages. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You have one new message. Hey, this is Aaron from California. And when I'm not busy spending way too much money on VHS horror movies, I'm listening to my new favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures from another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You're listening to That Would Be Rad. You know, one of the cool opportunities that Tyler and I both had while we were on tour with our band was to, you know, experience cities that we hadn't really been to very often or at all sometimes and one of the ones that always stands out is our experience in in new orleans you know growing up i had always thought of new orleans as mardi gras mardi gras stuff never really appealed to me or whatever but so i had you know a, a certain perspective uh or perception i should say going into new orleans when we were touring there but when we went there we had just such an amazing experience because mm-hmm. you know our drummer's now wife her sister lived there who and she worked for the new orleans zoo and so we got to do this behind the scenes tour of the zoo i got to feed my favorite animal of all time which is an elephant Mm -hmm. and we got to sort of begin to experience the incredible 
culture that is within New Orleans. And it really truly is like this really neat melting pot. And so much of the, like the brass band music. And we played this really cool venue. And it was just a really, really cool experience. So when we kind of came across this story, you know, even though it's not quote unquote camp related or something, Mm -hmm. it sort of stuck out to us as one that we really wanted to share with you, the listener. Yeah, it, it, uh, this whole story coming from someone who is sort of a uh, self-professed lifelong fan of, you know, cryptids and, you know, most of that stuff like I've heard of and I know about, but I gotta say, man, this one, this is another one that Woody pulled out that uh, I'd never heard of. And well, it's funny too, as I started to kind of tell you about it, like, yeah, man, I found this like story about this thing called the Grunch. At first I thought it was a typo. I thought maybe they meant the Grinch. <laughs> uh, and I started to describe to you what this creature was like. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, man, that sounds like Chubacabra. And yeah. see, that's the difference. That's, thank goodness for your base of knowledge mm-hmm. because I didn't think of that whenever I first briefly read through what I found. Well, let me, let me clarify too. I, I think the, I think the problem with, with Chupacabra is the original accounts of Chupacabra, the original goat sucker, you know, that's what Chupacabra means was sort of more of like, like imagine like a gray alien with like the big black almond black eyes Mm-hmm. Super skinny, short, big head. Okay, imagine that. And then now the eyes are red. It has fangs. It has these huge sort of spikes protruding down its spine. Uh, some accounts say that it has wings. Others don't. It has claws on its you know feet and hands. And that was the thing. And then somewhere along the line, and I think the first account was back in like 88 or early, early 90s, I think officially but the somewhere along the line it got into like you know the u.s and and mexico border it and you know like the uh, southwestern area of like i guess lower texas Mm -hmm. they started seeing these things that looked more like a like a coyote with mange Mm -hmm. you know like a hairless coyote hairless like you know desert wolf or whatever and in my opinion, these things are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whenever we say this thing looks like chupacabra, we're talking about the original, you know, big red eyes, fangs, mm. spines kind out of, of back. Kind of almost like a reptilian in a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, whenever I think of chupacabra, that's what I think of, like a weird, like skinny little coyote um, kind of creature. Well, you know, they have, there's, there is that video that you can find. And I think, I think somewhere along the line, I heard that, I don't know if like a guy like hit it with his car or something, but they ended up finding one, this sort of second iteration of one. And I think they even had it tested. And, uh, you know, while it wasn't some kind of monster or, or whatever, I think the DNA did come back showing that it was like half, blue wolf maybe and yeah. half coyote so it was you know technically a uh, in the sort of truest context of the word cryptid they did discover that it was this kind of new thing hmm. granted not nearly as cool as the the little monster looking thing right yeah and i mean i think one of the first things that kind of fascinated me about this story was really that there were like two different ones that i kind of found and truthfully initially what i found that kind of 
began my intrigue was this story about these albino dwarf people yeah. that like living in the outskirts of town that would kind of, you know, come in and, and kill people or like steal things and, and, and all of this. That's initially kind of what got me mm-hmm. kind of turned on to this story. And then it was later that I found like the bigger legend really is this cryptid creature. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess if like if you guys do look toward it, I guess technically if we're talking about the creature, you'll find it under like the beast of Grunch Road a lot. Yeah, or right? the Grunch Road monster. Or the Grunch Grunch Road monster, right. Yeah. Um and then the the albino characters were were they also called mm-hmm. the, the Grunch? Grunch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. And God, man, I really don't even know how I stumbled upon this at all yeah. i mean i can't I remember it's, that's so weird to me yeah when no. that happens like i don't i don't i can't recall how i just randomly came across this and i thought man what the heck is this mm-hmm. and started kind of doing a quick search and that's when i came up or found the the albino folks and you know there is much less about that than this main sort of cryptid creature legend right another thing about the melting pot of new orleans that is fascinating to me and i think in a way, if if you have kids or you know kids that watch Disney movies and stuff, and if you've seen The Princess and the Frog, mm-hmm. even in that movie, of course, it's all watered down. But there is elements of the the voodoo culture, mm-hmm. and or that's hoodoo. always something that yeah, or hoodoo. And the distinction there between them, uh, the the hoodoo uh, culture comes from specifically Africa, yep, and that type of sort of what we and has been kind of referred to as like dark magic and witchcraft and like all that stuff about New Orleans has always kind of fascinated me. And when we were there, you know, you you could see these shops that have like, you know, these voodoo dolls and stuff. And I'm sure 100% that they're like tourist traps. Oh, But the fact that a lot of these cultures kind of still exist and you hear about, you know, community elders that live out on the swamp Mm -hmm. and still practice this kind of stuff is just so fascinating. And to be truthful, as fascinating as it is, I've never really dug much into, you know, like someone like Marie Laveau, for example. Well, we've talked also about, obviously we're going to do another deep dive into Marie Laveau. And it'll probably be an episode that's more about like the other sort of haunts or cryptids of Louisiana. I mean, you have the the Honey Island Swamp Monster, mm-hmm. the Rougarou, the um, what is what was the thing? The Vampire of what? That's what I know. Uh, I get you. <laughs> no, no, no. That's what uh, the Grunts used to be called. Oh, so you didn't pay attention to the thing. <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> that. I was more concerned with the the spelling. No, you were more concerned with trying to get me. <laughs> I but was. You failed. Yeah, I was. Um, leaving it so in, leaving it in. So there, there, please don't. There, you know, there's a ton of cryptids, a ton of sort of, of things to go into. But but one of the things that Woody was talking about is Marie Laveau, who, and if you don't know who this is, again, this is not a deep dive. This is just a brief explanation of kind of who she was. She's kind of known as the voodoo queen of New Orleans. She was this woman that was, uh, it's interesting too, because all of her sort of early history is very sort of speculative. It's not like it's all sort of soft and kind of not like, oh, well, this is exactly when she was born. This is exactly who her mother and father was. It's sort of like very loose. So 
we get what we get. Uh, but she was uh, born back in 1801 to Charles Laveau. He was a, pl- a wealthy plantation owner who also later on became the mayor of New Orleans in 1812. The mother was a black woman, one of the servants, who happened to be uh, a voodoo practitioner. Um, her name was Marguerite. She was you know, tall, beautiful. She had a husband in the early days who disappeared, which again, it's very sort of murky, but some people say that maybe it was her that did it. Other people say that possibly she, he, he you know, he left for another woman and she was kind of too prideful to admit that. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, so after that, she became a hairdresser. This is actually really interesting because I'm the guy on this podcast who I really like to, I'm really the true believer. I really like to kind of allow myself, you know, suspend your disbelief and like really get into believing a lot of these things. But with this, this is one of the interesting things. I've always known of this woman. I didn't know a lot about her, you know, the ins and outs of her past, her father, mother, all that stuff. But, you know, you always hear uh, that she's kind of like, you think of voodoo or even hoodoo and like she's, you know, Marie Laveau, that's the name that pops up. But one thing that I thought was really interesting is she, she became like a hairdresser for several years and she would work, you know, do the hair of all these, these women uh, higher up in the sort of political arena of, of the city. And so she would kind of, gather all this sort of information to sort of, you know, start kind of gaining ground like politically. Later, she would marry a guy named Louise Christophe Laglepion, who she had 15 children with, which, wow. She stopped being a hairdresser and, you know, basically to raise her 15 kids. And they were kind of back to back. Boom, boom, boom. She stopped doing hair and was just basically a mother. But during this time, she kind of got back into kind of, you know, carrying on this this tradition of, of voodoo that her mother had kind of taught her as a, as a young girl. Uh, she sort of got into this and sort of became this character. So I think a lot of it had to do with her sort of, you know, it's kind of the pushing the, the narrative and the theatrics, kind of like Marilyn Manson or Alice Cooper, or it's like they sort of adopt this persona that's like bigger than life. So she kind of became mm-hmm. this mystic, basically. And it even said at times she started carrying like a snake around her neck that she Man. named, that was named Zombie. Wow. Uh, which is, I mean, that'll do it. That'll do yeah. it. Uh, but she she kind of started out by selling these things, these like little charms called Gree Gree bags. And she would kind of give spiritual advice throughout the city to, you know, sort of high up political people because they mm. they wanted to know. And and again, this was in the 1800s, so the spiritualist movement was kind of mm. probably coming on pretty strong. Mm-hmm. You know, she would serve the upper class. This, is, this was something that I thought was really interesting. She would serve like the upper class. And since she was a mixed race woman, she would, I mean, it's good and bad, but she would either pay off the servants of these people or basically threatened to curse them to get information about these people that were in the political sphere, if you want. And so Mm -hmm. she was gaining kind of all this information. So I think a lot of her kind of like, quote unquote, like fortune telling and like spiritual guidance that she would give these people Mm. would, yeah, would be in response from her years of being a a hairdresser to the women, Mm -hmm. the wives. Wow. And just gathering all that information and now just be able to kind of use it. Yeah. Exactly. 
which is pretty awesome. Yeah. She So kind of the main thing that she was sort of known for, there was this huge guy in the city who, you know, a big political leader at the time, very wealthy guy. His son had been charged with rape. And he came to Marie Laveau and said, you've got to do something, you've got to help. If if you're able to get my my son off and bring the truth to light, he says that he didn't do it, you know, yada, 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 I will give you a house. You know, we're talking full-size, big, giant house. And so it's said that she she did this ritual where she placed three guinea peppers, which apparently are super hot. Didn't you do that for a while? Weren't you into the pepper thing? Yeah, yeah. And hot sauce? Yeah, hot sauce. Um, I know nothing because about of that it. Show, because of that show. Um, oh, yeah. Hot ones. Hot ones, yeah, which is pretty pretty funny, actually. So she, she kept these peppers in her mouth that was like said to be excruciating for hours and hours. And apparently in voodoo, the whole point of is if you – you do these things to kind of like harm yourself or inflict sort of pain on yourself. And so apparently the, the spirits uh, kind of take pity on you and feel bad for you, but sort of appreciate your suffering. So, you know, that's how they sort of work on your behalf. So it said that the day that the trial took place, she took those peppers that she had had in her mouth. She snuck into the courthouse earlier in the day and put them under the judge's seat in the mm-hmm. court. And, uh, you know, it said that, he was uh, let go, and the truth came out. It was, it really wasn't him. It was a big lie. Whatever. I thought that was pretty cool. So you know, she had kind of gained all this sort of notoriety. And the cool thing is, is you know, when we or when I think of her, I think of her being kind of dark and and um, just because of the the theatrics, you know, mm-hmm. and the snake mm-hmm. around her neck and and all this stuff. But apparently, you know, she died in 1881, and she died with a smile on her face. And apparently it wasn't this sort of mischievous or dark thing. It was because when she died, everyone spoke of her in the city of being the nicest woman to have ever lived, who cared for the sick and apparently would use her powers for good. And she was sort of almost like a saint figure, Man. which I didn't know anything about, even to this day. And again, we'll get super heavy into this on a, on a later episode, but even to this day, you can go to her tomb and... Um, it's said that you can write three X's for a wish. You write it on her tomb, you know, XXX. And then you turn three times and then you yell out whatever wish you want. And then if the wish comes true, then you come back and you circle your X's and you have to leave a gift or an offering, which I I, I don't know. I love that kind of stuff. I love yeah. the sort of, maybe it's the D&D in me, but, <laughs> you know, the sort of like, ritual and like yeah, all the little going through ritual, all the motions so. of of that kind of stuff but for sure but yeah she's she's a really fascinating character and i love the the tie between her and this story being that and again we'll dive more into this when we kind of get to her and this uh, kind of more more famous i guess legend of uh, the devil baby mm-hmm. of new orleans which yeah. apparently you know I want to say that I read, and I mean, I think it does, in fact, have to do with that guy who was accused of rape, you know, and all oh, that. Wow. I don't want to get into the devil baby thing now, but we'll, we'll talk about that legend at some other point because it's also fascinating and kind of creepy and weird and mm-hmm. the fact that it is also kind of apparently and allegedly on the loose and has been mm-hmm. ever since 
it escaped. And well, well, one thing too, before, like just before we move off of, of this, the, the thing that I think is so interesting about the voodoo and the hoodoo thing, I guess technically more hoodoo, both the same, but more, I guess, leaning into the hoodoo side is I like how, so it's, it's like, you know, ancient African meets French meets American, some Native American even stuff. But I love sort of the mismatch of, uh, it's almost like they, they adopt this like like early like Catholic vibe almost. Mm-hmm. Like they're really big on like saints and, and angels. So it's sort of this weird like esoteric mystic kind of thing where they've adopted like little bits of like Christianity and early indigenous people and the French who settled there. It's it's just it's fascinating, and I think I think a lot of that kind of leads it leans into um, really kind of appeals to this sort of mystery and this like sort of spookiness that surrounds New Orleans as a city and Louisiana really just kind of as a whole. I mean, yeah, the swamps, the Cajun culture, and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any any of that sort of like ancient belief, whether it's here in in the Americas with the Native American populations and and the the things that they believed before Christianity you mm-hmm. know, came here. Same same goes for like the the African tribes and the Romans and the Greeks and and all the mythologies and stuff. Norse mythology, mm-hmm. you know, the way that humans tried to uh, understand, interpret, and sort of interact with uh, spirituality mm-hmm. is just such a fascinating thing. You know. Yeah. One thing that I found interesting too about the grunge itself <clears throat> was, you know, just like the chupacabra stuff, how it it kind of goes after goats and I would say like smaller livestock. I think mm-hmm. is the the main thing. But this again kind of comes back to sort of what we talked about last week when we started talking about you know the summer camp slasher sort of trope and also that sort of cautionary tale for teenagers to wander off at night to you know. Mm-hmm. Get into some hanky panky. This kind of necking legend, necking, which is also a word that I never. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. I think back in the fifties, heavy like, petting. Yeah. Wait, excuse me. Yeah. Anyway, um, which wasn't there an album called Heavy Petting Zoo? Anyway, <laughs> good God. I, I mean, I completely got. Uh, oh, kind of like a cautionary tale, and as a means for you know people took advantage of this sort of legend to kind of say hey i mean hey whatever you do son don't be wandering off you know mm-hmm. the grunge will get you yeah. right and so it's funny to me that even no matter what there's always this sort of like central theme amongst a lot of these legends and stuff that parents will always be parents and they're going to try to scare their kids away from doing something that potentially they shouldn't be doing oh yeah by the way that album is from no effects the classic oh yeah cool back in 96 well the one thing that i i think is interesting and again this is probably going to be a totally other episode but i as soon as you started talking about the the grunge like the the albino sort of side here in georgia we have there's some like ancient i mean it's not super well known really but like there's these characters a, sort of an, a tribe, I guess technically that were they were called the Moon-eyed people. Oh yeah, and they were first written about back in 1797 by a guy named Benjamin Smith Barton, and apparently shortly after that, the Cherokee tribe kind of eradicated them. 
But but back in the day, they I mean they're kind of like drow, really. Which if you're a D and D fan, like you'll know what I'm talking about. They they were called the Moon Eyed People. Number one, they were all albino, same kind of thing. But they were called Moon Eyed People because they couldn't their eyes couldn't handle the sunlight, so they only came out at night. And they were I think they were even shorter, you know, smaller than average height. And if you really kind of get into it. I think they're even tied to a possible sort of inner earth or hollow earth type thing, which is kind of fascinating. But man, I mean, the similarities are kind of crazy. I mean, especially mm-hmm. if this is back and this book was written in the seven, you know, 1797. I think yours is like sort this of... This all started happening in and around that time period, around yeah, like early, early 1800s. 1800s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you could argue that potentially either they are kind of close in genetic relation, Uh, although with the sort of Appalachian moon-eyed people, are they short or are they no, like is there descriptive, is there any kind of description in terms of how tall they are and that kind of thing or are they just kind of typical height but just, you know, have lighter skin and, Um, you know, can't can't see in the sunlight? I'm not sure. Nothing Uh, that I remember about them was super specific about, and again, like you said, we'll definitely do, because this is fascinating stuff too here local to us, uh, but nothing that I remember kind of mentions anything in terms of them being, um, you know, of a different size or anything. I do feel like I've, I read somewhere where they were like shorter or like just of small, like slightly smaller stature, but... That is a crazy connection and definitely feasible that uh, one way or the other it could be descended from the same... I guess, bloodline or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting too. I mean, I, I remember you talking about this before and I kind of looked into it. And one thing that kind of stood out to me was that these people were talked about by the Cherokee and that they essentially had run them off. Yeah, I mean, you know, apparently they had been talked about for like over 200 years. They were sort of, at least here in Georgia, I mean, even up in like, we live, there's an area called Sati and Nikuchi and it's like a really big uh, sort of Native American, there's a lot of sites and and everything, and it's like a real big sort of, if you're into, you know, indigenous people of the area, you know, it's it's such an awesome place and it's beautiful. But there's a lot of sort of areas that we would consider pre-Columbian ruins that are, you know, kind of linked back to these people. So, and apparently there's also, there's these artifacts from like pots and, and uh, you know, pottery and stuff that was like a blue kind of clay, I guess. And apparently like this particular, I could be getting this wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like a blue type tint. Apparently this particular clay was only found down in like Colombia and like South America and like way, way, way South. So it's, it's a really interesting kind of thing. It's like, well, you know, I'm a fan of the sort of the pre-civilization sort of hypothesis where we think there's a lot of other sort of civilizations that uh, that have kind of been covered up throughout history is kind of like whatever happened, like a restart or whatever. I think these people could could be somewhat tied to, you know, maybe they sailed sailed north and and then you know uh, were just you know totally taken out by by the locals. Yeah, or they found the Roanoke colony and there took them go. with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep, I'm 100% behind that. Speaking of kind of far out theories, my theory is this. I think 
whatever UFO dropped off the Chupacabra back in the 90s, I think it also dropped off one called the Grunch. Man, so you're saying that at some point a UFO, this is super interesting to me. I've never even thought about that. Okay, so you, now is this something that you've read or you just literally, you came up with it in your head? No, I, I just came up with it. This is this is a that would be red exclusive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just I had no idea the similarities of how similar this thing and the chupacabra looks. Well, I mean, like, are there theories of the chupacabra being dropped off by like an alien or something? Oh yeah, or, yeah. Oh okay. Well, okay. I mean, th- like you know, again, this is like a '90s thing, so you know, X-Files was abound and, you know, you, I've always heard like, okay, well maybe it was a, you know, escaped mutation, some kind of hybrid or chimera at some sort of lab. Uh, Maybe it was like some kind of almost like a shock trooper dropped off Mm -hmm. by some sort of alien race. But I mean, whatever it is, these two things do seem like pretty they kind of do kind of go hand in hand, you know? Man, I've I've never, um, that's super interesting. I've mm. never heard of that. And that, you know, again, shows my ignorance to this kind of stuff. But Well, I mean, um, it's what a just cool, theory. But. Yeah, yeah, but what a cool theory. Like a theory mm-hmm. of it, what if it's just like, you know, a uh, their pet? And sure, it's kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it eats goats and stuff. But I mean, you know, you leave a pack of dogs out in the wild and, mm-hmm. you know, next thing you know, they're terrorizing things as well you know eating small livestock and that kind of thing so Mm -hmm. what an interesting theory i've never thought about that yeah and they i think the chupacabra would leave two little dots the blood would be completely exsanguinated or whatever and Mm -hmm. uh this one the grunch leaves like one little wound to suck all the blood out weird yeah it's pretty interesting. so cool Mm -hmm. of course when we think of going camping and stuff we, you and I, Tyler, think about, you know, heading out into the Appalachia and into the woods and we've got mm-hmm. pine trees and that kind of thing because that is what our ecosystem looks like where we're located. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even, you know, lake and that kind of thing. But, you know, there are swamps here in Georgia, the Okefenokee being oh, yeah. one of them. And you can actually camp out in Okefenokee. And by the way, I have. Um, really? I didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, hadn't, I didn't see any swamp creatures, but uh, it was a fascinating time. I camped out. This was in college. I took a... Um, oh, your biology thing. Yeah, it was a uh, an ecology field study. We got to go down there and go camping, and it was it was amazing. But, you know, you, you get out on these swamp waters, and the water is, you know, essentially black because of the tannins in the yeah. water. And so you can't see anything in them and almost like they're almost like reflective you know and they just look like these like you're gliding on these like black mirror really Mm -hmm. and you know you get out there in the middle of the swamp and i gotta tell you man it's it's scary to think about the grunge being out there or you know even like uh skunk ape or, or you know any kind of creature i mean it's scary enough that there are alligators out there oh, close yeah. by mm-hmm. and uh to think that there are things out in this instance in new orleans hiding behind that tall swamp grass or behind the the tree the root those big sort of like uh like mangrove type mangrove roots and, and within those sort of like networks of roots and trees and overhangs and stuff you know gosh it is um it's super fascinating i'm so glad 
we were able to find this sort of like, you know, lesser known cryptid to mm-hmm. kind of tell everybody about. Yeah, I agree, man. You know, you mentioned Swamp Ape. You know, one of the characteristics of Swamp Ape is, which by the way, Swamp Ape is kind of, not only is he a Georgia thing, he also, or Southern Georgia, Florida, Alabama, but also he's kind of a, a Louisiana character as well. So uh, one of the things that's that I thought was interesting is one of the, his kind of main feature is, you know, for all you that don't know, he's basically the swamp sort of Southern version of Bigfoot. I think the hair is a little longer. The coloring is a little different from the, you know, Pacific Northwest Sasquatch. But his main attribute is he smells horrible. And, mm. you know, the swamp with all the sulfur and the peat bogs and all that kind of stuff lends to that. One thing that I thought was cool is uh, how the grunch was kind of known for that same kind of smell. I mm. think that mm-hmm. that sort of lends some you know, possible sort of truth to the whole thing. Well, I mean, and there are a lot of these animals, you get up close to them, they're not uh, grabbing a shower and using an axe every morning, you know? And, Mm -hmm. uh, boy, all that hair and, I bet, uh, you know, I bet that sucker... And if you're you're listening, Swamp Ape, I'm I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, maybe grab a shower every now and then. That's not in the swamp. Yeah, right. Well, I think that does it, dude. Uh, you got anything else? Well, I just wanted to say, like we always say, thanks so much to every single person that takes the time out of their busy day to listen to our show. It really, 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 truly means the world to us. You know, even just taking the time to comment here and there, send us messages about urban legends in your area and uh, and that kind of thing is super fascinating and we'd love to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Tyler, where is the best place for people to get in contact with us well the best place and only place in my opinion is instagram we have an awesome little growing ever-growing community in there like i always say we love the back and forth we love the just kind of the constant conversation we have with you guys and you know it means a lot to us we also in honor of our summer event camp rad strangeness we have uh the new camper shirts in the merch store which is over on spreadshirt you can find that in our link tree in our bio on instagram if you have a more long form story or whatever, you know, feel free to shoot an email to our Gmail, which is just, that would be radpod at gmail.com. Yeah. You know, we, we know that everybody's got a lot going on in the summer and you guys are starting to get out there, go camping, starting to enjoy the, the outside now that it's starting to warm up. Well, or get into the nineties if you're here in Georgia, (laughs) but, uh, you know, keep a uh, keep your head on a swivel because uh, it's not just at Camp Rad Strangeness where you can see cryptids and something just lurking outside of your periphery. Some of you have sent us some sort of local urban legends and and that kind of thing recently. Feel free to send us some hilarious camp stories that you might have as well. If you ever went to a summer camp whenever you were a kid, mm-hmm. we'd love to hear them and we'd love to share them as well. So, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah. And like Tyler said, Definitely visit our merch store. It's not just the Camp Rat Strangeness t-shirts that we have, but you know we have these really awesome camper mugs that you can take on your camping trips this summer. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. I, I got to tell you, if I if if you really want to know the truth, my coffee tasted better when I was drinking out of this. One hundred percent. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. So if you want a delicious coffee, guaranteed for the rest of the summer, make sure you get one of these mugs. Yeah, and it makes your Red Bull taste better too. Hey now. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, we always say that we appreciate you so much. It's you guys that make this thing an ongoing, you know, pleasure to uh, to record from week to week. You know, we would be talking on the phone for hours about cryptids or, you know, obscure 80s movies or whatever. We'd be doing all that stuff anyway, but it's because of you guys that, that we put in all the work to record it. So, uh, as I always say, we appreciate you, we love you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it Future would be a parade of 